unstoppable, powerful, inspire. That's what I look at every single day for the past two weeks. That's my motto. Before I sit down at my desk, do any work, answer an email, do a podcast, go on a webinar, negotiate, I think of those three words. Mm, They're not my normal go-to words. But now, that's what I think of because where I want to go in the world, I just want to get everything out of every moment I possibly can. I don't know if I've been inspired because of doing everything virtually or I'm going crazy from being in quarantine too long, even though we get out, it's not the same way, but it really made me rethink about what I'm going after and why am I holding back? I want to be an amazing leader in this world and inspire as many people as possible. I finally, I am live on Patreon. That's right. I am live on Patreon. You can look me up, Sandy Joy Weston. I have so many different programs for everyone, big discounts for my six-week programs and my 10-week programs, my weekly calls, my monthly calls. I wanted to make it affordable for everyone. My mental and physical well-being coaching, my train your head and your body will follow coaching. I really appreciate all your love and gratitude for everything and everyone that's been following me. And there's programs that are just a few dollars as well as programs that if you spend like $15 a month, you get huge discounts on so much stuff. And I waited, not just because I was a little scared about putting it out there, but I wanted to make sure I had enough that I could offer that I really believe would really empower people to see all their power they have within them. That's what I want to do. Hopefully, there's something that touches you. And if not, let me know. And this is my perfect, I was going to say, she is somebody who I would just freak out if I was actually her client because or her staff or somebody she works with because Claire, this woman is amazing. And I know she doesn't do coaching, but when I say I would be her client in a heartbeat, I would want to work for her. I would want to just hang out with her. I mean that inside and out. She's unstoppable. She's powerful. She's inspiring. She's an amazing leader. I met her in Thailand. She lives in Australia. I haven't kept up as much as I should because of the time difference. But when we got together, it was just like yesterday. I can't wait for you to meet and listen and see this incredible, incredible human being inside and out. I know you're going to love her. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello. I'm so excited. Claire, how are you? Hey, Sandy. How are you? It's been so long. I cannot believe the last time we spoke might have been a few years ago, but Claire and I met in Thailand, right? Yeah. And how many years ago was that? Do you remember? 
Oh, um, it was I'm either three say or four. two and a half or three. Oh, two, yeah. 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 So I wasn't yeah, that- could, could be four. Yeah. But anyhow, I always loved her, kept in touch. And I reached out to her recently and I said, I have to have you on, especially when I'm doing a series on positive power ladies, making a huge difference in the world. But before I tell your story, do you mind if I read a little bit about you? Yeah, go for it. I mean, we could go on forever. Claire Negus, leveraging her background as a lawyer and chartered accountant, Claire is an experienced executive having led teams across a portfolio of sectors, mining, oil and gas, mining construction, oh my God, infrastructure and technology. Through her career, Claire has held a variety of roles, including general manager, chief commercial officer, general counsel, and chief projects and risk officer, primarily, oh my goodness, in mining companies. I knew it, but I forgot all about that, Claire. Claire has been recognized for her leadership and innovative nature, receiving numerous accolades, including being named the most outstanding woman woohoo, in mining by the Chamber of Minerals and Energy and being named Risk Manager of the Year. Claire, I forgot all that. How the heck are you? Fabulous. You're doing fabulous. real well down here. Coming into summer, that? it's fantastic. Oh, wait a minute. That's right. You're in Perth, Australia. Is that where you are? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's summer. So give me an idea. We just need to know a little bit about Australia. So tell me what it's like where you are, like what the outside's like, the weather, the animals. Just give it to us. Yeah, so um, I live about 600 metres from the beach, which is pretty idyllic. Um, beautiful blue skies, lots of birds everywhere. So you get woken up to the sounds of birds. Mm-hmm. Um, this morning I went for a run down the beach. So, you know, 5Ks along the beach, which is just beautiful. So, you know, that, that was sort of 5.30, 6 a.m. and get the kids to school and, and now I start my day. I forgot. That's right. So we're recording this and it's 7 p.m. or 7.30 for me. So it's 8.30 the next day for you, correct? Correct. Yeah. Right. And I remember you were helping me with a fitness campaign, no matter what, whether it's running or walking, you get it in almost every morning, don't you? That's right. Yep, absolutely. So, Wait a minute. So gym, what about the winner? What about the winner? Yeah. So um, gym three times a week. And then um, even here, so even when it's winter here, it's still between sort of 18 and 25 degrees Celsius. So it might be windy and rainy. So you you might not go out a couple of times in the month, but it's still pretty good. So it, it's one of yeah. those, it, it's a very similar climate to California. It, it's okay, pretty good. We're just going to touch on it a teeny bit because I know there's going to be curiosity. Are you in lockdown over there? What's your quarantine like? Yeah, so I'm in Western Australia and um, it's really important to distinguish which state you're in, probably like the US. Mm. Um, we have hard borders. So until a week ago, um, we have had, I think, nine months where we couldn't travel between states. So, um, you know, I've had friends who have been separated from their partners for, for eight and nine months, um, and that's just been released. Yeah, so we have, within Western Australia, um, we haven't had any community transmission of COVID for, I think, about four or five months now. Ooh. So, yeah, so, so for us, we have limited capacity in venues, but um, otherwise, it, it's back to normal. So, um, you know, we, we still had, um, I don't know, football matches with, with you know, mm. 30,000, 40,000 people in the stands. Oh, wow. Um, 
Yeah, so, you know, you can go clubbing, you can go to a bar and walk oh. around. So, you know, life is pretty much normal. So on oh, the cool. weekend they opened the borders up and um, unfortunately there was an outbreak in South Australia. So we shut the borders again to them. But, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. And, and you know, we don't have requirements to wear masks. And, you know, we, we are... We are practicing social distancing. I would suggest we're not particularly practiced at it, however, because yeah. we haven't needed to. Yeah. So if we do get an outbreak here, it's probably going to be it'll be quite serious because because we're not social distancing really. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, can I come there and hang out? But I don't think they want us over there right now. You can come. You just have to do a two week quarantine. Oh, okay. That's that wouldn't be fun. All right. So before we get going, if I was going to ask you one word to describe how you felt in the past 30 days, what word would it be? Whatever you can think of, an emotion, a feeling, what would describe your past 30 days? Fabulous. Fa- <laughs> Whoa, fabulous. Okay. Absolutely. I have to ask why fabulous? So, you know, always coming into summer, it's always, you always feel energized um, and enthusiastic. Um, you know, being able to, um, you know, see friends and and it's it's interesting. You get that real appreciation for the human contact when you've been in isolation for such a long time. So being able to see friends and hang out with friends, um, catch up with family, and and you know, staying fit and healthy. Like what what more could you ask for? You know what? Amen, sister. I'm happy to hear it. So I want to catch up with you. Maybe it's been three years, two and a half years. What have you been doing recently? Because the last time I spoke with you in Thailand, it just felt like you were moving and grooving to make a huge difference. You work mostly, I'm going to say, in a male-dominated field, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I'm, I don't know if it's changed in the last few years, but maybe you could just take us back a little bit what it was like first starting out in that industry, and then we'll move forward to how it's changed. For sure. So I have been working in mining or mining-related industries for most of my career. Um, you know, initially it, it, it was um, it was probably more challenging than it is today. So to put it in context, women make up between 18 and 21% of the mining sector in Australia, and they have done since I started. So we haven't made any real gains in terms of the numbers of women in the sector, um, more broadly so you know that continues to be to be a challenge um but but when i started working in a male dominated sector um you know i i was referred to you know as as the token chick to a certain extent you know so you know i I would be the only woman in an executive team um and and i would be spoken to often as if i was the daughter or or the niece so I wasn't viewed, in my view, as a, a colleague or a peer. I was, in their minds, um, you know, maybe making up the numbers. Um, and and it, I certainly didn't feel that I had the respect um, and interest in going about my job in the same way the men, the men would. And I probably felt I had to work harder and to prove myself to earn that respect. Um, yeah. Fast forward, the last five years have been a little different. Um, and look, there is disparity across the sector still. So the, the mining services are probably 
still a little lagging, the, the oilers team, so the actual miners and the, the companies that own the mines. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, you know, the companies that own the mines are far more pro- progressive, really pushing, um, you know, getting rid of bullying harassment, getting rid of sexual harassment, um, making sure there are um, you know, more women on, on selection panels for jobs, um, removing bias, you know, in terms of when, when a CV is presented to you, um, you know, names are removed. So, you know, it, it, it is interesting. Um, you know, maybe I can, I can put a little colour around that by sharing a, a story that I have. And that was, I, I was working in a functional role. So I was um, program manager for risk and assurance for a mining company. I had around $40 billion of projects in my portfolio. And How much? Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. $40 billion? Yeah, so yeah, so $40 billion. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and so I mean I always just say it's just an extra zero or two. Um, otherwise it's all the same. And yeah, and and I, I really wanted to um, get into the front line. I wanted to learn more about what happens out in the field. So I could then bring that back to my functional role and service them better. And I put my hand up to be a construction project manager. So um, in terms of convincing the people that I was capable of being construction project manager, so I'd worked with with all the decision makers, so they knew who I was, I had a good internal brand, um, but, but they also had their own bias around women in the field, um, particularly young women. So I was probably about 30 at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not particularly big, so I'm relatively petite. So, you know, sending a woman who, who likes to wear nice clothes into the office out into the field um, hadn't occurred to them. So I would sit down with, with each of those decision makers and, and just ask them for their advice on how I could get into the field. And, and you know, interestingly, the majority of them, it wasn't about how you can get into the field. Their first reaction was always, you want to go into the field. Why would you want to leave the city and get out into right. the field? Right. Yeah. So, so just breaking that bias that I didn't want to stay in the city and, and letting them know that I'm happy to get a bit dirty and put on some steel cap boots and, and some hideous fluoro shirts and, yeah. and, and get out. So you know, ultimately, I was given that role, and um, I was a project manager looking after two and a half billion dollars. I had about four thousand staff on the ground, um, so that was Oof. a real challenge. And you know, it went really well, and and I think that was a real turning point for for them that that a women can work in the field really effectively in senior senior leadership roles. Um, but also, I'm not an engineer; I'm a lawyer and accountant by background. And it was also the first time they put a non-engineer in the field. So, you know, realising that that management at that level, and it's about management and leadership, not so much about technical skills. My team were technical. If I had a question, they could answer that question. Yeah, I didn't yeah. need to be able to answer that question. Yeah. And, and it works really well. You know, I was sitting here making notes. I have so many questions, but I'm thinking about, talk about breaking glass ceilings. You really did that in so many ways for women. And it's such a big thing here now, because I don't know if you've heard, but we do have a female vice president. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic. I know. And as much as there's political differences, we're all coming together as women and going, wait a minute, we have a fee. And she's awesome. A female vice president. It's incredible. Isn't that incredible? 
Yeah, she's she's incredibly impressive. Yeah. So, but I'm thinking, how freaking awesome must you have felt that you were like one of the first to do so many things? And why? Like, where did you get that confidence? You know, how did you get that confidence? Because that takes a lot of confidence, young lady. Yeah, well, I don't think it was about confidence. I actually think it was about wanting to do a better job. Uh-oh. And, and you know, I, I felt that for me to be able to really deliver on my functional excellence, I really needed to get the perspective and get out into the field and earn the credibility that comes with being in the field to be able to really redesign the way we operated um, and, and make sure that works really well. I, I didn't even think of that, but you're right. You just wanted to do a great job. Yeah. yeah. That, that was the way to get there. Okay. So, and, I, and don't get me wrong. Like I, you know, I, I hoped I would have got a job um, and, and there was every possibility that I wasn't going to get a single job out of those conversations. Yeah. And I think you have to be prepared for that. So, you know, having having the audacity to actually ask those people to have those conversations, but framing them such that I was seeking their advice. So, um, you know, often it comes down to ego management. I think that's one of the things you learn very quickly working in a male-dominated industry. You know, Good point. Good point. So why mining? That was my big thing. What got you in? I get the lawyer, I get the accountant, but why mining? So when I um, was was in uni studying law and commerce, um, I actually did a lot of dancing and I was not sure if I was going to be a ballerina or a lawyer. <laughs> okay. Totally. Yeah. Opposite. Creativity. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And um, I ended up deciding to become a lawyer and I live in Perth, Western Australia and we are an industry that is predominantly dominated by mining. So um, around 80% of our GDP is either mining or mining related. So a support service to mining or mining direct. So, you know, as you go into industry or, or into work, there's not a lot of options. You know, we don't have a big finance sector or, um, or, or, you know, I guess hospitality and, and, and entertainment. So I actually started off life as a consultant um, at Ernst & Young. And um, my first job was with um, BHP on a, on a program of work. And I've been in the mining sector pretty much ever since. What did your parents think? Did they care, like, growing up? Did it matter to them whether you were a lawyer, accountant, or ballerina? No, but they always wanted me to pursue my ambition, whatever that may be, and, and open your eyes as well. So make sure you actually spend time and effort to look beyond your immediate horizon to understand what your opportunities are. So I was that kid in high school that went on all the geeky summer camps um, and, and, and did like, like the science camp. So I would fly to somewhere else in Australia or somewhere else around the world to go and do, whether it was an exchange program or a, or a science program, um, and just you know, really open, open my eyes to, to the possibilities and, and try and take in as much as possible. Yeah. What did your mom and dad do? What were their professions? So my dad was an accountant very briefly and my mom was a lawyer. 
So that may explain my background. Wait a yeah. minute. Okay. I'm not real original here. <laughs> that, that's not true. That's not true at all. And so yeah. you, you grew up, did you grow up near where you live now? Yeah, like, like Perth is divided by a river. So I live about 10 kilometers north, but on the other side of the river to where I grew up. But, yeah. you know, I still see my folks um, like every other week, if, if not more regularly. And yeah, so Perth is, um, you know, a lovely place to live. And, you, you know, you go away to work and you always end up coming back because, mm. um, it, you know, what's not to like about mild winters and fantastic summers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what were you doing in Thailand? What made you come to that International Women's Conference? Yeah. So um, I first went the year prior to when I met you. Oh. I was looking for, yeah. So that was my second year. Huh? I was looking for the ability to connect internationally okay. so the the women in leadership conference that we attended um was a a women in leadership conference that that i could attain and and, and attend if that makes sense yes um there aren't many women in leadership conferences around the world um which aren't by um invitation if that makes sense so mm -hmm. there's a couple that look fantastic um, but you kind of have to be on the Forbes list, right? Uh, I never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, there are some like, like literally, yeah, people, mere mortals like myself can't, can't attend. Um, so really looking for an opportunity to connect outside of Australia um, and, and, you know, meet up with other fabulous women and lead it and, and, and learn about how other women lead and, mm. and manage their behavior. Yeah, and, it, and we did meet some really incredible women. And Absolutely. I still, yeah, and I still stay connected with them. So you're doing more global work right now. I mean, which yeah. was before we got on. Yeah, so um, over the last probably four years, I've had two different global roles. So um, I was working for a computer gaming company. Um, so that was in the tech sector, a bit different. Ooh. Um, so I was working as a consultant. I had my own business probably for the last four years. Any and, game and I know? I, Any game I know? Um, probably not. Okay. Um, so it's all it's all online. Um, interestingly, our entire customer base was in the US. So um, only sold into the US. Um, but yeah, I, I was working. I was I was working in a in a medical company, and one of my old bosses rang me up. He said. I need someone with your skill set to come in and lead this transformation of this company. Um, they were they were in Perth. Um, they were they were small, um, and they were growing. And there was a number of structural pieces that needed to be sort of um, you know reorientated. So I was brought in to to look at at that and and lead that that transformation for that company. Um, and that was a fantastic experience. Um, lots of really dynamic young people. The CEO, um, I think he was 36 when I started. So yeah. um, just just an amazing tech company and, um, you know, really dynamic. My team um, was located in Perth, Sydney. We had team members um, in or stakeholders in Seoul, Korea. We had team members in the Philippines. Mm. We had key stakeholders in um, Sweden, London. Um, I set up an entire new operations business in Malta. 
And um, we also had team members, you know, stakeholders in Colombia, um, and then team members in Denver, Colorado, and San Fran. So I know I'm getting used to it right now because everything is virtual, but did you find that leading a group virtually to be easier or more difficult or the same? I think it is quite different. And I think if we don't recognize it's different, we're doing ourselves an injustice. Um, I, I believe that both communication and leadership styles need to be adjusted to accommodate the fact that you don't have that face-to-face -face contact. And yeah. one of the really important things is, and, and it's great that, that, you know, Sandy, I can see your face really well here. Yeah. So us as human beings, use we use body language, we use our hands, we use our posture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she says. Um, <laughs> and we use our face. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our communication comes through our face. So when you're on a VC, if you can't see the other person's face, you're losing 70% of the context in which the words are being said. So, you know, talking with my teams about making sure we can see our faces and we're not in the distance, uh, making sure, you know, you have that water cooler conversation. Again, making sure you understand the context in which they're doing their job is really important, I think, as a leader, because we need to be empathetic. We need to be caring. Um, to, to get the best out of our team, we have to nurture them to, to do that and inspire them to do that. Um, and if we don't understand the context in which they're working and be empathetic in relation to that, um, we, we won't get the best out of our teams. So, so constantly and deliberately taking time out in our face-to-face -face meetings to talk about the weather, yeah. about family, yeah. um, about challenges, about what people did on the weekend, if we don't do that, we lose that connection. Um, and, you know, an, another really important aspect is um, it, it's, it's a lot harder to build trust when you're not face-to-face. -face. There's a certain aspect about being face-to-face -face that, that enables trust to be not just built quicker but retained more easily. Mm. Um, and when you're, when you're in a virtual environment, um, you know, trust is built through reciprocity. And, and, you know, if I do something, you do something. I'm so glad you're talking about this because nobody so far has addressed the huge difference in virtual. And mo many of us are not used to it. Like some, I I've been doing it for a while because of interviewing people around the world. You don't have a choice. But to have every day be virtual and negotiating and trying to talk to employees. Like somebody said to me, Sandy, I have to basically reprimand an employee and I don't know how to do it virtually because they felt like I don't even know them, but for six months. So everything has been virtual for six months. And how do I do that without having all the side chat? So what can they do, Claire? That's a really good question. And I yeah. think as a manager, um, you know, making sure your employees stay on track is so critical. Um, I, I work with my team on an agile fan, uh, uh, fashion and, you know, we catch up every Monday and we talk about and we document what are we going to do for the week. Um, we have to be cognizant, you know, of, of people's lifestyles. And, and I mentioned about being empathetic as a leader. So, you know, mm. we need to be adaptable. And I think one of the great things that, that being virtual has brought, particularly when you work in a global context, 
is we give people flexibility to, to get their, their lives on track during the day, but that might mean they work at night. And that's okay, particularly where we're dealing with global stakeholders. So to your question, how do we deal with those conflicts or providing negative feedback in a virtual environment? And, and let's just put a further overlay on top of that. What about when you're dealing with someone from a different culture? So there, there's a couple of different aspects here and, and, and they're two quite different pieces, right? So, you know, I, I've got oh, and, and I've had um, both Asian and Arabic um, team members and they deal with, um, deal with negative feedback and, and conflict very different to an Australian, even to an American. So even though we're on very similar, you know, cultural paths, um, we still deal with feedback and conflict differently. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So um, an Australian, um, in terms of, of, of negative feedback, is actually going to be more indirect compared to an American. So we, we, are, we are more like the British in this regard. So okay. the British are even more indirect. But then you get to an Asian context where they will provide negative feedback in context. So they don't provide direct feedback. So let's, let's just take an example, right? Yeah, give me so, an example. Yeah, so um, and, and I'm going to use the Dutch. The Dutch are very direct, and that's a really good contrast to a British person, right? So... And, and, and if you think about um, the, the, the directness in terms of um, providing feedback um, on a scale, the British are about in the middle and the Dutch are like fairly aggressive on the aggressive and more direct end. So, um, so if I was a British person and I'm providing feedback to a team member who, who potentially isn't delivering what I'm after, you know, and, and Australians are very similar. So I'd say, look, I think you've done a really good job, but I'm going to ask you to go back and have a look at these sections and, and really think about, you know, how they could be enhanced um, and, and how they could address the issue of, of, of X um, better. Yeah. yeah. Now, the Dutch person would be listening to this going, they think I've done a fabulous job. They think I could do something slightly better, but I don't really need to worry about that because I've done a fabulous job. <laughs> Meanwhile, the British person is thinking, well, they tried, but that whole middle section missed the point. <laughs> so I've asked them to go and reconsider it. And so, so that, that's a really wow. obvious example of how people interpret things differently based on their cultural background. Isn't that fun? I want to have a whole show on that. I would find it fascinating to see the culture and how people take, you know, negative, constructive criticism, because I've always thought it was a management style, you know, that you should get to know, like the greatest leaders or the mentors that I admire, they don't just manage one way. They get to know their employee and how they respond. I wasn't thinking of it culturally. I was thinking of it, okay, Claire's different than Bill than Sally. And once I get to know them, I will know how to get the most out of them as an employee. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, what, what you're saying holds true, right? 
Yeah. But this is just an overlay. And and not every you know, not all Dutch people are direct and not all English people are sort No, of but I get indirect. it. There is a yeah. 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 I find it fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, and you know, you take that same context and you put it in an Asian con- culture, and and a lot of the Asian cultures are quite similar. Um, and you know, the the negative feedback could be provided along the lines of, so how do you think you're doing? And and it's a coaching style because yeah, if you yeah. provided them negative feedback, they would just shut down because that's not not yeah. it's not the way you do it. I was just thinking because I'm always about trying to figure out how to motivate someone and highlight all the good stuff. Very, so I was taking notes because I I love the first way you said stuff and I want to copy it. And I was thinking, yeah, that's so much my style. You know, I love what you do, but I'd like you to go back. And I remember saying this to the one young man a few weeks ago, because Sandy, why don't you just tell me, I won't say what he said, because why don't you just tell me what the F I did wrong? I don't care. Let me just, like, it is mine. Can you just be more direct? Like, what did I yeah. do? I don't care. Just tell me what you want. And I started Absolutely. laughing, you know, because he's like, you're hurting myself. I'm not hurting my personality. This is not personal. I just want to do a great job. So, yeah. You know, I, I found that funny where I've done something like that and sugarcoated the crazy and somebody else is crying on me. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how else to do it. But I do agree. And I haven't thought about it until you said it. It's the water cooler chat. Like, I do think you miss out with all those side talks because every time I get on a Zoom or a conference call, People are just want to get down to business because they're so sick of them. They're drained. They want to get off. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're like burnout. They're I know what you mean. Burnout from one to the next to the next. And they don't want to as much small check out on Zoom. And I think it's so important, like you said, to get to know all those little things in addition to let's get down to the nitty gritty. So yeah, I don't know absolutely. how to do that. I don't know how to do that. I guess you just make time for it. Well, well, and that leads me on to my next point around the management when you're dealing with virtual management, um, particularly in meetings. So firstly, communication is tougher. So we need to allow longer to have the same conversation. And typically it's about twice as long. So it's not a little bit longer. It's it's double. Um, the other aspect is why? really around... Why, 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 why? Because we're missing so much of that context. Mm. So you can't see my body language... The other thing is because I'm sitting down, I don't actually have the same intonation in my voice because my diaphragm's compressed. So there's actually a whole heap of um, physiological things that are eroded through even through video. And, you know, we're not using high-definition video. High-definition video is even better than, than standard def. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, all of those things play a factor. Um you know, the, the way I hold my posture, how I use my hands, which you probably can't see, the way I'm interacting with other people, all of these things we take in as information and our brain processes it all and arrives at a conclusion. We are now narrowing that information channel to make it voice or text um, or, or, you know, a little bit of video, but we're just not, we're not there we're not there. Yeah. And, and you know, I touched on reciprocity. We have to do it so quickly and, and so regularly. So one of the things that's really great if you're managing a virtual team is putting more structure in place because you, you know, so when you're running a virtual meeting, you know, you can't just eyeball someone and, and like, tell them, 
that's not what I'm thinking. You can't eyeball them and say, it's my turn to talk now. You need to be quiet. You can't do that in a virtual environment, right? <laughs> so, so having a really clear structure. Um, so an agenda is more important than ever. And talking about um, adding context to the agenda as well, like, like, like you are being consulted or this is a directive or you're being informed or or please collaborate with me on this particular topic. This is an open topic. Um, that starts to set the expectation. Hmm. And similarly, open chat. What did everyone do on the weekend? What was the best part of the weekend? And, and not only do you get that context, you also lift the mood. You create more energy in the virtual room. So, you know, whenever I start my meetings on a Monday with my team, the first thing we do is we do a roundtable on what everyone got up to on the weekend. What was the best part of your weekend? And it really creates energy in the room. And it also means, you know, you, you can be empathetic. You know, if you've got a staff member who's going through a diff difficult time, you're there to support them. And it's not just you. Like, if the rest of the team members know they're having a hard time, then they can support them or they can be more empathetic when, you know, maybe they're not as on the ball as they usually are. Yeah. So I, I always ask people to send me in their questions depending on the guests. And the next one is, I don't know if you can help them, but how can they convince their boss that they can't have back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back Zoom meetings because they get burnt out. And I understand what they're saying. They're saying maybe just like you said, the meetings are taking longer that people are used to. They think it should be done in this amount of time. So this guy feels like he's rushing from meeting to meeting and he's so burnt out. He, can't even, he feels like he has to run to the bathroom and come back. And that upper management is not realizing you need time to get up in between these meetings. I don't know how you feel about that. So I actually, I, I completely, I'm completely on board with that. You know, my team is virtual. My stakeholders are virtual. Um, I, I, in my current role, I haven't met my bosses yet, ever. So, mm. you know, it's all virtual. Um, and, and, it is really important to, to take time out between meetings. It, it's exhausting, right? Yeah. I think yesterday I started my meetings at 6 a.m. and my first break was at 1.30 in the afternoon. And and all about one were half hours. And, you know, you want to get through things in half an hour, but because it takes so much longer to communicate, you know, you're, you're pushing, you know, and how much, how much, um, effectiveness and efficiency do you get in that last five minutes all of a sudden everyone puts all the things on the table they haven't got to yet so because they know the meeting's going to end yeah yeah um, so so quite frankly i think this comes down to time management so i think you can share with your boss that that it's an issue and that we have to be conscious of it i think there's a real health and safety aspect here as well um, and coming from a mining background we are really focused on health and safety you know making sure our people get home every day is the number one yep. priority at the end yep. of the day um, you know, and and not wanting to put too hard a point on it, there are, um, and and we have seen it in, in my current organisation, um, real work and health health and safety issues around being seated all day, um, making sure you stay hydrated. So we've had people who haven't been hydrated who aren't taking time out to go to the bathroom, and that causes other issues. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and just just lots of posture issues. So making sure you know you do get up and walk around, stretch your back, those sorts of things. So 
I would, I would have a conversation, but I also think it's down to the individual to manage their diary and their time. Yeah. So um, I try to avoid having back-to-back. So I will usually try and have a 10 to 15-minute window at the end of my meeting. So if I'm booking a meeting, it's a 45-minute meeting. Gotcha. And then I won't book another meeting until the following hour. Um, the other thing is I block time out in my diary um, and, and um, people can book around that. So making sure I get some me time, I get some time to reflect. Otherwise, you find you end up working all through the evening as well because you, you're on back-to-back, you haven't got any of your work done, um, and there's not that visibility because, you know, people don't genuinely stalk each other's diaries because they have better things to do. So they can't see that you're so busy. They might not even be aware that you're back-to-back-to-back. So take the initiative, block time out in your diary, not just to, to, to have to yourself but also to make sure you get some work done as well. So I always have chunks through the week. Um, and, you know, I know there's some days I'm going to have a harder day um, and I'll try and balance it the, the following day with, with you know, some more um, some more me time, some more flexibility in my day. So yesterday I was back-to-back in meetings and today I have, um, you know, I think I've got three or four hours I've blocked out where I'll just get some work done. Gotcha. Do you ever see people in uh, virtual meetings that they're standing up, pacing back and forth because they don't want to sit? Which I get it, but sometimes it drives me crazy. Like I'm like, I can't follow them. I can't watch them. Sandy, I'm one of those people. And um, I, but I turn my video off. So I'll just say, I'm going to walk around while I talk to you. I'm going to turn my well, video off. That's different because you're not, yeah, turn your video yeah, yeah. Stand up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, you, it, it's very distracting. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, where are they going? All right. The next question is, what is it like to be a powerful woman? What does it mean to you? Let me get, I, let me get this right. What does it feel like to be a powerful woman? And what is the definition of a powerful woman to you? Sure. Let's, let's start with the definition. So in my mind, the definition of a powerful woman is someone who can be themselves, be authentic, and show humility, show grace, be empathetic, and be bold. Mm. So be prepared to do things that haven't been done before. And be prepared, if you see the opportunity or you see the issue, don't think someone else is going to solve it. That's up to you. You don't have to solve everything, but don't walk past it. And, and one of my bosses once said to me, never walk past an issue. If it, it, it doesn't have to be your responsibility to fix it, but never walk past an issue. So for me, being ooh, ooh. a... a, a I kind of break that down. I love that. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's lived with me in, in terms of the way I behave. So it's about setting direction, setting the vision um, and, and making sure you take your team on that journey. You, you have to, in my mind, lead through um, inspiration and people will always do so much more, go the extra mile, be so much more engaged when they're inspired. So for me, a powerful woman is, is someone who is themselves, um, who cares for others and, and, and has, has vision and inspiration to bring people on that journey. So I guess I coming that. back to it, yeah, isn't that, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really lovely. Um, and sorry, Sandy, what was the other part of your question? She, you know, you actually answered both because she was asking, 
you know, what does the definition of powerful woman mean to you? And how, you know, how do you feel being a powerful woman? And you answered both. I think there's one more piece to being a powerful woman. And that is um, be proud of being a powerful woman and embrace it. I think for many years, I didn't embrace being a powerful woman. I was sort of, oh, I'm not that powerful. Mm. And in hindsight, I was actually very, very powerful. Um, so <laughs> yeah. embrace being a powerful woman um, and also recognise the privilege that comes with that. And, and you know, that's just so important. You know, I talked about being, you know, humble and having humility. Um, I, I think that comes through recognising the, 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 the privilege that you have and the influence that you have on people, people's mm. lives and outcomes every day. Yeah. Do you think there's a difference between being a powerful woman and a powerful man? I would like to say no. But I think if I reflect on my experience, there is, and, and I think this, this difference is narrowing. Um, I think in my experience, the men have probably been more um, directive Whereas not always, but certainly now, the women are being more collaborative and inspirational um, and, and the men are certainly heading in that direction too. And, and look, maybe that's just the time piece and, and we're all heading in that direction together. You know, if I look back, you know, in the 90s when I started working, um, people were, were quite directive, whereas now it's around collaboration, it's around inspiring. So, mm. um, look, I think, I think there is a difference. Um, but I don't think it needs to be um, so much noted. I, I don't think we are that different at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. Okay. What does it mean to be a leader to you? Like if someone said to you, what kind of leader are you? What would you say? Mm. Well, I would like to think that I'm both collaborative and strategic. So for me, a leader is someone who basically creates that vision and takes people on that journey. So for me, a leader is someone who, who who can visually build that that image for people to aspire to. And it's about taking people out of their everyday blinkered lives and, and work and, and lifting the horizon. And helping people envisage and imagine the the opportunities and the possibilities, not just what we're going to do next. So it's about getting people to lift their heads up and look beyond the current horizon and look to the possible and and not the immediate. So yeah, so you know, it, it is about taking people on that journey and I love um, it is about engaging those people. By the way, I'm going to be taking notes for all my staff tomorrow. <laughs> They're going to be like, oh, no, now what is she up to? No, these are such good pieces of advice. All right. Have you ever had to fire somebody virtually? Or let's say let go, lay off. I'm just thinking if I have had to. No, I, I don't think I had to. Because I think that would be I haven't so had to tough. fire someone virtually. Um, I've had to coach people 
virtually. Um, and, you know, when you're having those conversations, it's really hard because when you're face to face, you know the environment they're in and you can create the right environment for them to be open and listening. When it's virtual, you know, it's hard to say, oh, for that meeting, just make sure you're on your own and, you know, it, you know, it, yes. it's, it's, it's a much more difficult conversation to stage. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, but you do have to be conscious of that. Like, you know, maybe just having a conversation, oh, you know, I've got to have a, you know, let's let's spend a bit of time really getting into some detail, you know, when works for you, when, when can you be on your own so we don't, have, you know, we're not interrupted. Those sorts of early conversations to try and gauge what, what, what would be the best outcome. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is also it's so easy to switch off when you're virtual, right? So when you're, when you're face-to-face, you know, if I, if I was playing on a different app, application right now, you wouldn't be able to see that. We would yeah. still be talking. Um, yeah. I happen to be writing an email or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you are working um, face-to-face, you're engaged, you're present. So for me, one of the struggles is around how do you get people to really listen? How do you get people to understand what mm. you're saying? Because ultimately you don't necessarily want to fire someone or lay them off. Um, you know, you want to work around what, what yeah. can happen. But when you're coaching someone to to be their better selves, you know, how, how can you do that in a virtual environment? Because... People take feedback so personally and when they do, their brain kind of switches off because all they think about is they don't like me, I'm not doing a good job, and they have all this negative self-talk. And so it's around how do you keep them engaged? And for me it's around asking coaching questions rather than giving them that feedback. I like that. Okay. Would you... This young lady says she's negotiating big deals and there's with two guys and one guy insists on doing it on his phone and he can't, she can't see him. And she said, I don't want to finalize the negotiations unless you're in a place where you can see each other. And he still doesn't want to go on camera. What should she do? I mean, I agree. I would hate to negotiate you know, especially something that involved my job if I couldn't see the person. Yeah, look, obviously, you know, I've talked about the means of communication and, and how much more you get out of facial information. At the end of the day, um, it's not even for me about the fact you can't see their face. It's about the fact they're not willing to make that that request for you. And that for me... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that for me actually starts to beg the question... Um, how can I trust someone who won't even show me their face? And it's not about seeing their face. It's about the fact that, that they're not comfortable showing their face. Yes, yes. And, and sort of asking that question. Um, so, you know, if it's a business deal and it was all over the phone, I've actually done many business deals over the phone. I actually don't have a problem with that. Um, but, but for me, you know, because ultimately, you know, it's written down. You have the conversation. It's written down, point, it's reflected, and, and and you go through that. You go through that 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 dance, if you will, when you end up with a with a negotiated position, which you both think um, you understand, which is never really the case. But 
you know, and, and, and you move forward on that basis. So, so for me, having it over the phone isn't the issue. But the fact she wants to have a face-to-face and he's not willing to, that for me creates a trust issue. Good point. Okay. What has been one of the most, I call them sticky wickens, difficult parts of your job in the last year? In the last year, um, so running a, a transformation program and one of my key stakeholders is is not on board. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and for me, this is a real test of leadership. So it's about um, influencing the other leaders who are, who are strong, um, who are um, going to be able to influence that, that person as well. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting. Like ordinarily I'd also influence, you know, their, their people around that person as well, you know, mm-hmm. both, you know, from a 360 perspective. Um, but this is a, a confidential issue, which means that I can only go to the people who are who are in the tent. Mm, yeah. And so, so influencing those people in the tent, um, spending a lot of time with the individual, trying to understand their perspective, um, and and ultimately um, trying to unpack their issues. Um, it, it, it's quite a tricky one because yeah, I, I think their issues are actually motivated differently so trying to understand their motivations and and whenever I have a a sticky problem I always try and put myself in the other person's shoes Mm. to understand their motivation so I can address their motivations um but when their motivations are are unknown um and you can see that that they're not prima facie, they're not they're not on the face of, of what your of your conversation. That's when it becomes really difficult. And and you've got to start to use other other people to say, hey, I was thinking about this. You know, have you spoken to X about it? And and just see see what their perspectives are and, and also maybe they can give you an insight that you don't already have. Do you think well, I was just talking about this earlier with a bunch of people. We won't get political, but do you think think you can change somebody's political opinion by giving them enough facts and information? Or do you think most people, somebody said to ask you this, I was at the coffee house and I was coming here, I was running late. And they're like, ask her this, ask her this. Does she think you can actually change somebody's mind politically? If even if you're talking logically, not getting emotional, not getting upset, can you really change somebody's mind? I have a saying, which is the king is not always persuaded by your logic. And and what that means is it doesn't matter how good, intelligent, logical your argument is, how well it's articulated, if someone doesn't want to listen, if someone has doesn't have the ability to listen, then you're not going to get through, regardless of the topic of conversation, right? Then we overlay politics. Um, and it's it's similar to religion, right? It's, it's a deep-seated belief. This isn't something that you you turn on and you turn off. You know, typically you you grow up in a in a household who has a certain belief. Now that might mean you're agnostic, it might mean from a political perspective, you're happy to look at both sides of the fence, um, and you're never going to be blind to one side or the other. Um, or it might mean you grow up being blind. 
and um, and to for for someone to change their opinion based on logic and facts where they have this this deep seated belief in 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 a certain position, firstly, a they have to want to be open, and if they don't want to be open, it doesn't matter what anyone does. Right. Secondly, um, you have to undo or unpack all of their assumptions from their life that they have built around this belief, hmm. and you've got to like literally unpack it all to get to that 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 change of belief. So in short, you have to be really determined to be able to do that if you wanted to. <laughs> yes. You need to pick the right person who's willing to do it and you need a lot of time. So <laughs> yes. I I don't think I don't think changing someone's opinion on, on politics if they're if they're you know blind left, blind right is is a it, it, it would be a year's process of someone who wants to change. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, not easy. Not, not easy. <laughs> I haven't seen it happen, so there's that. Okay, highlight in the last year for you, either career-wise or personally? Um, I think probably, you know, this has been a, a year of unprecedented change. We have changed at a, a rate we probably have never changed before mm. culturally um, and, and, and also um, logistically, right, you know, you know, everyone wears masks these days. Um, you know, I have a plethora of hand sanitizer, which I never owned previously. Yes. Um, so someone had to set up all these hand sanitizer factories. Um, for me, you know, reflecting on this year, the highlight has probably been the fact that we've slowed down. Um, we're not jet setting everywhere. We've slowed right down. Mm-hmm. Um We've probably connected with the people that mean most to us in our areas. So we're, we're probably spending more time with the people that really matter because all of a sudden you can't, right? You can't see these people. So you make more effort. Um, I think that we are appreciating the smaller things because we're not reaching for the stars at the moment because, you know, I love traveling. I love going overseas and meeting new people. Me too. But I can't do that, right? Right, right. So I think my last trip was in March, mid-March, and I remember my husband was like, you might not be able to come back. And I was like, oh, we'll see. Um, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is a down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so for me, I think, I think the real highlight this year is, is, well, A, working from home is far more acceptable. And for me and my family, um, it's, it's fabulous, particularly with me doing really early morning calls, and, um, you know, I, I can get out of bed, roll onto the computer, um, do my calls. Um, I'm done by 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I might jump back online in the evening. But yeah. it means I can spend the afternoon with my kids when they get, get home from school. And and it's normal now. It's not like people are like, oh, she has to go home to look after her kids. It's, oh, good point. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so much more flexibility. Um, I think we appreciate the people I think we appreciate people more because we've been isolated. Yeah. Um, you know, like when we could finally have more than I think one person over to our house, I was so excited. Um, so, you know, just appreciating the small things. So for me, the, the highlight for this year is, is, is 
really self-reflection, right? So it's it's being able to spend more time with those people that you love, slowing down, um, you know, having having that work from home flexibility, which hasn't always been there, and it's far more more acceptable, um, and really appreciating people. There are people that that are important to you, and and I think that's yeah. that's really lovely. Yeah, I I, I agree on, on almost everything because my hours I can create them, so it gives me time to hang out with my family. I know one thing: we definitely eat dinner more together and have movie night more. So I love that. Like that's that's huge to me, Claire. I could talk to you forever. Matter of fact, I I was like I need a private consult with her on some of my things, <laughs> and, I, and there's so many topics. I'm like, oh, that would be a good subject that you are just brilliant at explaining. So I really love this. And I think it's great that it worked out we're on Zoom and that I can see you. I think it yeah, was fabulous. the universe, you know, had it in mind. But I have to go to rapid fire. Are you ready for fun rapid fire? Go ahead. It's just fun stuff. All right. Favorite color? Yellow. Yellow. Favorite food? All of it. Favorite music? Crap. Favorite book? Do you have a favorite book recently? Mm, no, um, probably. Uh, I like the Jack Reacher series, so I'm going to go Jack Reacher. Okay. Do you have a favorite series that you guys watch or a movie that you've watched lately you love? Yeah, into Queen's Gambit at the moment. Oh, I saw that. I watched just a little bit, but I didn't start it. Is it good? Yeah, it's really good. All right, cool. Gonna mark that that Queen's Gamut. Favorite food? Probably sashimi. Oh, okay. Hobby. What do you like to do in your spare time? I think I know this, but yeah, exercise, cook, and drink wine. Oh, that's right. I was looking you up. I was trying to find Claire and I went, wait a minute. I didn't realize that you took all these beautiful pictures. Is that a side hobby? And is it all just wine? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I love good food. Um, I love creative cocktails and I love great wine. So, you know, my hobbies are literally traveling around the world and finding the best places to eat and yeah. drink. Well, your pictures are beautiful. They're beautiful. Yeah, they're very captivating. It was like, whoa, there's a whole other fun side I didn't know about. All right. Is there something that you can tell us about yourself that maybe most people wouldn't know? Um, well, I was a finalist for the first series of MasterChef in Australia, but I didn't what? ever go. Yeah, but I literally just had my first child and they wouldn't let me bring my child. So I said, I can't go. Wait a minute. You're that good of a cook. I definitely have to come to Australia. I hate cooking, but I love eating great food. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a good cook. So what is one of your favorite things to cook? I love ice cream. <laughs> so <laughs> You make ice I cream? Love, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do a, yeah. a, lemon, a lemon ricotta and blueberry ice cream, and that is delicious if you want something fresh. If you want something a little bit naughtier, it's just a nougat ice cream, so making, it, making your own caramel, um, doing your own nuts and, and – Making a nougat ice cream is just sensational. Oh, it sounds so good. Now, do you cook dinner most nights too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. So what is your favorite meal to cook as far as dinner? 
it's hard to go past like an eye fillet steak and, okay. <laughs> and you know a great sauce and and I do it with um I do it with bacon, lentils, and onion and balsamic, and it's just delicious it, and it's oh quick and easy. I'm getting because you know after a long day you just yeah. want to have a glass of wine, yes, like a ten minute meal and sit down. Yeah, it sounds lovely. All right, when I say the word universe, what does that mean to you? Expansive. I like that one. And your word for the next 30 days, what would you like it to be? The same or are you going to change it up? I'm going to say keep going because we're almost at the end of the year. Um, You know, you you start to get a little bit of fatigue sets in. Um, So it's about continuing to be motivated and just giving it your all all the way through. So it's just like keep going. Make sure you don't don't slack off. I like that. All right. Is there anything that we didn't get in, Claire? This is your time that I didn't get to ask, that you didn't get to say. Go forth, conquer. Sandy, I think you've been fantastic. I think you've covered everything, you know, that we would want to talk about in an hour um, <laughs> or, or, or however long we've been going for. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think it's been a fabulous chat. And as always, fabulous talking to you. It was so much fun. How can they reach you? Is there any way to reach you or, or anything like as far as Facebook, Instagram? What are you, what are you doing nowadays? Um, so probably LinkedIn is the best one. So Claire Negus, okay. N-E-G-U-S on LinkedIn. Um, that's probably right out there. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Yeah, it's all there. Well, Claire, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. I can't wait until we could travel again. I will find another international conference. I will let you know that we're allowed into as mere mortals. That's right. Yeah. And for my Let's Keep It Real people, I'm sure you're going to say, Sandy, please bring her back on. And she definitely kept it real. And until next time, you know what I'm going to say. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.